Hey theater lovers, it's Bryn. Today, we'll be talking about another Shakespeare adaptation, 16 Winters or The Bear's Play, written by Mary Hamilton. This work uses Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale to talk about modern problems with the patriarchy. But first, this week's announcements. Sarah Lawrence College is closing out their fall semester season with Plagued, a piece devised from Camus' The Plague. Performances start tonight at 8 p.m. There is a second performance tomorrow at 11 a.m. as well. Tickets are free and can be obtained on eventbrite.com. Just search for Sarah Lawrence College. Theater Me Too is hosting a digital hybrid arts lab on December 12th at 2 p.m. EST. Three of Theater Me Too's fellows will share their works in progress. Registration is free and can be obtained through the link in their Instagram bio. Their handle is at TheaterMeToo, which is spelled T-H-E-A-T-E-R-M-I-T-U. Stay True Theater, the company of which the podcast's first guest, and Karina Backen, is assistant artistic director, is having a winter show. It's called Make the Yuletide Gay and it will be streaming on December 17th at 7.30 p.m. EST and the 20th at 6 p.m. EST. Ticket proceeds benefit True Colors United. Ticketing information will be released on their Facebook and Instagram pages very soon. Just search for Stay True Theater. The Void Theater has released their newest project, Informed and Entertained Season 1. These short pieces on current events can be seen on their YouTube channel. Currently, they have released one piece called Welcome to Centerville, and four more pieces will be released throughout the month. Check their Instagram page for more information on which pieces are being released when, as well as details about the playwrights. Their handle is at the Void Theater, theater spelled R-E. The Tank will be celebrating the holiday season with a series called Wintry Mix. There will be various pieces released throughout the month starting tonight. Tickets start at $5 each. More information can be found on The Tank's website. Remnant, Theater Me Too's digital performance through New York Theater Workshop, had its run extended. You can now see it through December 13th. Go to New York Theater Workshop's website to get your tickets. Just a reminder that Ars Nova is having their telethon starting tonight at 6 p.m. EST and continuing for a full 24 hours. It's free, and there will be plenty of different acts and panels to watch. All right, that's all for this week. And now, let's dive into 16 Winters, or The Bear's Play. Mary Elizabeth Hamilton was a Lila Aishion Wallace Fellow at the Juilliard School and a Jerome New York Fellow at the Lark. She has participated in the O'Neill Theatre Conference, Young Bloods at EST, I-73, New George's The Jam, and Playpen. Mary holds her MFA in playwriting from the University of Iowa. She has developed work with Playwrights Horizons, Studio Theater, EST, Page 73, and Ars Nova. 
Mary is a resident playwright with new dramatists and lives in Brooklyn with her daughter. She is currently a story editor on Why Women Kill. Sixteen Winters, or The Bear's Tale, was a Shakespeare's New Contemporaries winner and received its world premiere at the American Shakespeare Center in May of 2019, produced in repertory with Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. Now, a short summary of the play from New Play Exchange. Sixteen Winters, or The Bear's Tale, takes place during the 16-year gap between Acts 1 and 2 of Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. After being condemned by her husband for adultery, her escapes to a small cottage in Bohemia, where her attendant, Polly, cares for her. With nothing to do and little company, the two women do their best to survive the tedium, while the king laments his actions and starts an aging rock band. Meanwhile, their ch abandoned child, P, takes up with some bohemian artists and rebels against the patriarchy, while also falling in love with one of its better-looking representatives. Full of love, jealousy, mistaken identity, and male privilege gone wrong, Sixteen Winters explores the effects of reimagining social constructs and asks whether it is truly possible to create something new in the wake of repression. To better understand the story and characters within this play, we're going to go over the basics of its source material, The Winter's Tale by William Shakespeare. Here is a three-sentence summary from Shakespeare.org. The jealous King Leontes falsely accuses his wife Hermione of infidelity with his best friend, and she supposedly dies. Leontes exiles his newborn daughter Perdita, who is raised by shepherds for 16 years, and falls in love with the son of Leontes' friend. When Perdita returns home, a statue of Hermione comes to life, and everyone is reconciled. Most of the play is the drawn-out drama of Leontes, oh gosh, that's a hard name to pronounce, accusation towards Hermione, her imprisonment, her trial, and then the exile of her newborn daughter Perdita. The Winter's Tale was written somewhere between 1609 and 1611, and was first presented on the 15th of May, 1611. It was originally published in the first folio of 1623 and grouped among Shakespeare's comedies. Though it has since been argued by scholars that it could be considered among his late romance plays, or that it could be considered a problem play, because the first three acts are more tragic and the last two more comedic. Whatever genre you consider this play, it was one of Shakespeare's later works and not among his more popular and well-known plays. Sixteen Winters takes place in between when Hermione dies and the king exiles his daughter, and when pretty much everyone travels back to the king's country from their exile. It fills in some of the gaps that are left by Shakespeare's 16-year skip forward in the original play. Now, the line that makes most theater lovers remember that Winter's Tale exists <laughs> is the famous stage direction, Exit Pursued by a Bear, which indicates the offstage death of Antigonus, Paulina's husband. Paulina is Hermione's handmaiden. She goes by Polly in Sixteen Winters. Sixteen Winters' alternate title is The Bear's Tale, and there is a character that is literally a bear. So what is the significance of the bear? In the source material, the bear only shows up at 
this point to basically kill off a character. Historians are unsure if it was a real bear that was used in Shakespeare's time or if it was an actor covered with a bear skin. Most likely, it was the latter, but bears were used for entertainment in very cruel bear pits in London, so it very well could have been a real trained bear. Possibly, the bear symbolized the rough and uncaring nature of, well, nature, or maybe it was just a bear. Either way, Mary Hamilton has taken the bear from this famous stage direction and transformed it into something essential to the meaning of her work. There are a lot of musings on the nature of the patriarchy and if a world based on repression slash oppression can be changed into something where everyone is equal and free. Just for kicks, I thought I'd put a little definition of patriarchy here, since we all hear the word a lot, but maybe don't know exactly what it means. Patriarchy is defined as a social system in which men hold primary power and predominate in roles of political leadership, moral authority, social privilege, and control of property. Some patriarchal societies are also patrilineal, meaning that property and title are inherited by the male lineage. By this definition, most of the world lives under some form of patriarchy. Well, now that we know all of the background information that we need to know to better analyze this play, it's time for our reading. Today, we have a reading of a monologue <laughs> that is said by the bear. That's right, the bear. It will be performed by Jared Richardson. But first, a word from our sponsor. And now, a reading from Sixteen Winters or The Bear's Tale of a monologue from Act One from the character The Bear, read by Jared Richardson. Here is what I know. One. Food is hard to come by in winter. In winter, one wants to have built up a significant layer of flesh on which one can feast quietly and sleep. One wants to have spent the summer months preparing and eating and saving up so that one can hole away. One wants to hole away. One wants a hole in which to hole away. One wants quiet. Two. Men are not to be trusted. They are guided by the same forces as other creatures. A desire for food, a desire for sex, a desire for warmth, a desire for sunlight, but they are guided by other forces too. A desire for perfection, a desire for glory, a desire for revenge, a desire for dignity, a desire for amassed wealth, and those forces make their movements unpredictable, and they make them unreliable, and therefore dangerous. So that when they walk across a field of snow, their footsteps do not lead in a clear, straight line from food to shelter like any normal creature, but they crisscross and backtrack and circle around and around in an endless and impossible attempt to get back time. 
three fish left in the snow for more than three days begin to sink. Four, spring almost always follows winter. Almost. Thank you so much, Jared, for that awesome reading. If anyone would like to contact Jared with any professional inquiries, you can find his contact information in the show notes of this episode. This work is about so much more than its source material. It talks about romance and commitment in a patriarchal society, the nature of time, freedom and independence, and so much more. It truly is a play that fits the times, I think. As said in the summary, this play really centers on exploring what and why the patriarchy exists, and if it is possible to make a new and better world. This is explored not in a large scale, utilizing politics and theory, but through daily, regular interactions between these people, who theoretically could actually make these changes. The first thing that really emphasized this for me was when her runs into Paul, her husband's ex-friend, in the woods. This is the friend that her husband accused her of having an affair with. We automatically see that while the stories are not true, her was loyal to her husband, that there is indeed chemistry between her and Paul. Her takes Paul back to the hut in which she has been living with Polly, and Paul and Polly, <laughs> I know rhyming names, both end up confessing their love for her. They try to force her to choose one of them, but instead, her decides that it is high time she tries to look for her long-lost daughter. This dismissal of the idea that a woman needs someone to protect her, regardless of that person's gender, in favor of a woman going after her own wants and needs is an idea at the core of this play. Polly and Paul, while both of them do love her, both hold her on a pedestal that she simply cannot live up to. Her recognizes this. In my analytical opinion, I think this is why her first thought is of looking for her daughter. While a mother-daughter relationship may have plenty of its own problems, in the moment, it probably felt more honest to her than a romantic relationship. And in the end, what everyone in this play is looking for is something that feels real to them, something that feels like a new world is possible. This is something that her's daughter, P, and her bohemian friends emphasize once we get to them in Act 2. P often laments that nobody or anything is real, and her friends agree and debate about the notion frequently. In fact, it is what connects her to the group of artists once she stumbles upon them. But more on that in a moment. The bohemian teenagers in Act 2 of Sixteen Winters are free-spirited artists who spend most of their time smoking weed and having philosophical discussions. They heavily discuss patriarchy, why it exists, and what the benefits of a matriarchal society might be. These discussions are parallels of smaller moments that occur between her and Polly, where they wonder if this world, made by and for men, could be changed. When Flory, P's love interest and Paul's son, 
drops into the commune and starts talking about matriarchy, I couldn't help but be reminded of the shorter conversation between Polly and her in Act 1. Her says, We could do so much more, Polly, if we were a couple. Think about what we could do without them. Them referring to men. She then continues, I mean, if we didn't have to rely on them, if we had our freedom, really had it. Polly is at first scared of these notions. Her talks about wanting to do something with her life before she is old, something I think a lot of people can relate to. And this is the first thing that begins to crack their relationship, in my opinion. Polly's idea of her is of a delicate woman that needs to be protected, which is similar to how all the men in her life have viewed her. And that is the problem. I think you could probably trace every issue in this play to the bigger issue of the patriarchy, to be frank. That brings me to something else I want to discuss. The opposite side of all this are the scenes between Leo, her's husband, and the ghost of their dead son, as well as the scenes in Act 2 in which Leo and Paul reunite. These male-heavy scenes reveal a lot. Leo, for instance, starts writing bad rock songs and wearing a leather jacket. Anyone who has ever been attracted to men just cringed with me, I bet. <laughs> While it takes years, it does seem by the end of Act 1 that maybe the ghost of Leo and her's son has helped Leo to realize how horrible he has been and driven him to want to make amends. Leo goes out into the world to search for his daughter and finds Paul instead. Paul and Leo run into two of the artists, Bear and Shep. Shep has been creepily moving in on P, despite her insistence that she is not interested. Paul's advice to Shep is, you have to fight for what you want and then take it. Bear, who is just a literal bear who also plays time in some instances, gives the advice, once you know what you want, then you have to know that you are big enough and strong enough to have it. You will know what is yours, and you will take it. My notes from my first read-through on this moment were, this is bad advice. It's creepy and, pardon me, but sort of rapey, and de denies that the object of these men's desire is a human being with their own wants and needs. This is specifically what the Bohemians, as well as her, talk about wanting to dismantle. And when we see it like this, put out so casually that we might miss it, we realize that it is indeed something to dismantle. These male characters talk about control, about ownership, about their desire being a need instead of a want that they can suppress, all in regards to actual living human beings. The ending of this play really solidifies everything. Her has no idea that P is her daughter, but they experience this kinship that they cannot explain. The play ends with them smiling at each other, taking each other's hands, and walking off stage together. To me, this really punctuated ideas explored throughout the play about dismantling patriarchy, about freedom, and about women going after their own futures. Her is flawed, as is P, but they deserve to make their own decisions about their lives, because they're humans. Ultimately, this play posits that nobody should have ultimate control over anybody else, regardless of gender or class. It explains that true freedom is discovered when we are able to truly decide things for ourselves, free of any obligations or social constructs that we never agreed to. It's radical. It's beautiful. 
And it makes you wonder, what would my better world look like? And how can I help my community towards that goal? And that's where I'll end things for today, folks. I hope I have inspired you to read this wonderful play for yourself. Like pretty much every play I cover, you can find the full script on New Play Exchange. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to contact the podcast to suggest plays and or guests you might want to hear about, or even themes, email me at theplaymatespodcast at gmail.com. No hyphen. That's theplaymatespodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow the podcast on Instagram at at playmatespodcast. That's at playmatespodcast, no hyphen. Also, please take a second to write a good review and rate the podcast five stars on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you can. It really means so much. I can't wait to see you all in next week's episode, in which I will be discussing Walden by Amy Berryman, with none other than Amy Berryman herself. It's sure to be a special episode, so make sure you tune in. Thanks once again for listening. Have a safe and fulfilling week. Bye for now.